0: Part 4 of the Kingdom of God series. And our message is called, The Word on the Street. The best way to tell others about God is by telling them about the things that He has done in your life, sharing your testimony. Let's take a look at the examples Pastor uses from the Bible and everyday life.
1: I want to talk to you again today about the Kingdom of God. It's interesting, when Jesus began His ministry, the first thing that He began to say was, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Other translations say the kingdom of God is here, or rethink your life, God's kingdom is here. Later, Jesus said, you won't, it's not with observation. In other words, if most people look at the kingdom, they think it's a morality, it's a philosophy, it's uh, some sort of moral code. But the truth is, it's a kingdom. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. So most people look and they don't see Christianity as a kingdom. They see it as morality, philosophy, some sort of religious teaching. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. He said, it's in you. But then he also said, pray and say, your kingdom is come so the kingdom is here it's in you but the kingdom is also coming in fact when Jesus returns he will establish and enforce the kingdom the bible gives us uh, the prophecy of Enoch who was actually the seventh generation from Adam he prophesied about Noah's flood but it says now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also His first prophecy was about Noah's flood. That one, he got it right. He said, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they've committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when he comes back, he's coming to establish the kingdom. He's coming to execute judgment and we've talked about this in the past but every wrong will be made right when Jesus comes back every wrong will be made right so he begins talking about the kingdom then for three and a half years he talks about how to live in the kingdom literally literally every message Jesus had was a message about the kingdom then after the resurrection it says in being seen by them for 40 days And speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, kingdom of God, it's so interesting to me that most people could go to church all their life and never even know that Christianity is a kingdom. And that all Jesus ever preached about was the kingdom. And after the resurrection, for 40 days, he talks to them about the kingdom. So please do not be upset if I talk to you like five or six weeks about the kingdom. All right. Jesus had spent 40 whole days talking about the kingdom. I, I, I was thinking this, this week, uh, years ago, I, I did a series on 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, which says, if anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. And I was probably about 10 or 12 weeks in, and a lady from church, uh, sweet, sweet lady, she came up and she said, if you say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one more time, I will scream, and I thought, I wonder if she's starting to get it. Jesus took three and a half years with his disciples talking about the kingdom. And then after the resurrection, spent 40 days talking about the kingdom. And then it gives us a little bit about the kingdom right here in Acts 1. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you said you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. As he's talking about the kingdom, he starts to talk about baptism. Now, in the New Testament, there are three different baptisms that apply to every single believer, right? In fact, in 1 John 5, it says this, verse 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the spirit and these three are one and there's three that bear witness on earth the spirit the water and the blood and these three agree as one now that verse where it's talking about the spirit the water and the blood and they those three agree as one is talking again about baptism it mentions first the spirit But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. So when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes that person and baptizes them into the body of Christ or literally puts them into, immerses them into the body of Christ. That's why it is really impossible to live the Christian life at home. That You, you, you can't just say, I'm a Christian and I, I love Jesus and I hate the church. It doesn't work. Because you are put into the body of Christ. And by the way, the way Jesus looks at that is kind of like, I would look at it if I say, I really like you, but I think Jeannie sucks. That's my wife. How many of you know we're not going to have a real good relationship? That's like the person who says, you know, I really like you, but, but, you know, your spouse. Oh, they are terrible. No, Jesus, his body, his bride is the church, right? So the first thing that happens is we get baptized by the spirit into the body. Then it mentions the water. And of course, Jesus mentioned the to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, which is what we've just done right here. Water baptism. And it's not just a ceremony. There is a divine power of deliverance and impartation to live a new life at water baptism. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we're buried with him in baptism and that just like he came up to live in newness of life by the power of God we come up to live by the power of God a new life I think it's interesting that when the angels come to the apostles that are in prison in the book of Acts it says, we want you to go now go to the temple and tell them everything about this new life see when you get saved it doesn't just mean you're going to heaven you're supposed to be living a new life See, when Peter preached Acts chapter 2, the church is being born, and he says, be saved. Now, most people think from hell, but that's not what he said. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. See, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, and as a Christian, you're supposed to live a life that is different. He said, go and tell them all about this new life. So again, Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, he says, for every one of them, he says, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews nine fourteen, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, through the, the, the blood of Christ, is offered by the Spirit to God. And what it's supposed to do is to cleanse your conscience from dead works. But the result is what's talked about in 1 John that you and I have those three that agree there is the Spirit when you're baptized into the body of Christ. There's the water where you are baptized in water. And then there is the blood which is offered by the Spirit. You see, where where the blood is is where the Spirit shows up. In the Old Testament, they would take the priest, and the Bible said they put blood on his earlobe, on his thumb, and on his big toe. But after the blood, the Bible says, they put the anointing oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And it's where the blood is that the Spirit of God shows up. So there's three types of baptism, and the Bible says they agree, which basically means that every one of us should partake of every single one of the baptisms. But then Jesus, speaking about that baptism in the Spirit, said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So basically, these three baptisms bring us to the place where we are to be a witness unto Jesus. Now, a lot of people get really freaked out when you talk about a Christian witnessing. But you're to be a witness. Now, if you go to a court of law and a person is a witness, all that they're supposed to do is tell what they saw, what they experienced, what happened to them. Think about that. That's all they do. This is what I saw. This is what I experienced. This is what happened to me. And that is all that we're supposed to do as Christians. What witnessing is, is not giving somebody a bunch of theology. Witnessing is simply telling what has happened to you, what God has done for you, what you've seen, what you've experienced. And you and I are supposed to tell somebody what we have experienced because of what God has done in our life. Now, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way to Damascus. He's persecuting the Christians. And on his way there, you've probably read this. It's in the New Testament. It's the book of Acts, right after the Gospels. And the Bible says that a light shines from heaven, knocks him off his donkey, and Jesus starts to talk to him. And uh, as a result... Paul gets saved, and and, and literally right here in your Bible, it takes 15 verses talking about Paul's conversion, right? And that's pretty awesome, 15 verses about one person's story about meeting God and what happened. But then in Acts chapter 22, Paul is in front of a bunch of angry Jews who've been trying to, literally trying to beat him to death. And he's rescued by this this group of Roman soldiers, and he gets on some steps, and he says, will you let me talk to these people? All right, And so Paul begins to talk to them, and do you know what he tells them? Now, this is Paul, remember. Paul went to heaven and came back. He said Jesus taught him the gospel. He wrote about 40% of the New Testament. If you look at the books, he wrote about 40% of the New Testament. This guy writes the Bible. So, he's in front of these guys, and what does he do? He tells his story. He says, this is what happened. I hated Christians. I was on my way to Damascus. Jesus appeared, light shone. Jesus talked to me, and he told me to do this. He told me to do that. Then they brought me into Damascus, and I was baptized. And he tells them his story. Then a few years later, he's in front of King Agrippa, who is the grandson, uh, I'm Herod King Agrippa, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. If you just read the Bible real fast, you're like, okay, Herod tries to kill Jesus, and then he dies, and then he gets eaten by worms, and then Paul preaches to him. I mean, it kind of messed up, but there, there's a whole bunch of Herods in the Bible, right? There's actually five of them that are mentioned in the New Testament, but this is the last one. This is the, the guy that tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem, that Herod the Great. This is his grandson, right? And Paul is standing in front of his grandson, and Paul, again, tells his whole story. Now, this is Paul who writes the Bible, right? He has got perfect theology. He could tell this guy all about in times when Jesus was going to come back. He could tell him all about all the fulfillment of prophecies. He could do any of that, but what does he do? He tells his story. He tells his story, and literally, we, we could say it this way, he, he, he is basically obeying Jesus, who said, you will be a witness unto me. You will tell people what I have done in your life. And when he begins to talk to this guy, this is what he says, he says, I think myself happy. He says, I think myself happy. Now here, why does he think himself happy? Well, because he gets an opportunity to share what Jesus has done in his life. In fact, I think he's thinking back to when Jesus first called him and told him, you're going to stand before kings and testify, be a witness to me. And here it is, 30 years later, and he's standing before a king, and he is giving his story about what God has done for him. Well, not only did he do it then, but in Galatians chapter 1, he gives part of his story. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we find out again that he's been telling people his story. Because he says, you know how I have seen the Lord. Well, how did they know? Because he told them his story. In 1 Timothy 1.13, again, he gives part of his story. So he just keeps on telling people, this is what God has done for me. And again, this is the greatest apostle that the church has ever seen. And what does he do? He keeps telling his story. This is how I met God. This is what he has done for me. You know, a man with a testimony always wins over a man with an argument. You see, you can try to tell somebody something and they can argue with you. But when you tell them what happened to you, What do they say? Again, the man with a testimony always wins over the man with an argument. It's pretty simple. Like the blind man said that Jesus healed, once I was blind. This I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I, I had no peace, now I have peace. Once I was addicted, now I'm not addicted. Once my heart was broken, but now it's healed. This one thing I know once I was blind but now I can see and literally nobody can argue with your story and what people want to do is argue they get defensive when Jesus is at the well in in Samaria and that woman comes out and she's getting some water and Jesus said let me have a drink and there, there was such hatred and animosity between the Samaritans and this woman's a Samaritan and the Jews going back Hundreds of years. And she says, Well, how is it that you, a Jew, would even talk to me and ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And Jesus said, Well, if you knew who I was, in the water that I could give you, that would be living water, and you would drink it and never have to drink again. And she says, Give me some of that water. And Jesus said, Go get your husband. She said, Well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, Well, you've had five husbands. And now you're just shacking up with somebody. And she went, Oh. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. Bright woman. Bright woman. And so this is what she said She said, You Jews, you say we should worship in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans, we believe we ought to worship here in the mountain. And when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us the real answer to where we should worship. What does she want to do? She wants to argue. When, 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 when you confront somebody and really touch their heart, if they're defensive, if they're, they, they're hesitant, what do they do? They give you some sort of a religious question and really saying, well, you think this, I think that. You know what Jesus did? He just brought her right back. And he said, hey, I that speak to you, I am that Messiah. I am. But what Jesus did was destroyed her argument and it's what God has done for you and for me that we are supposed to share and Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God he says you're going to be a witness for me I'm going to empower you to be a witness again in Ephesians 2 10 for we are God's own handiwork his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us, taking paths he prepared ahead of time. So it says that God's prepared good works for you to do, paths for you to take, that you can live the good life that he prearranged and made ready for you. Every one of us have a story. In First Peter chapter 1 verse 18, knowing that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, listen, from the aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers in other words what what paul is saying is saying before you knew christ he said you aimlessly went from one thing to another thing searching for fulfillment and searching for happiness the message bible says to get you out of the dead end empty-headed life you grew up in the dead end empty-headed life Another translation says your empty lifestyle. Another, your worthless way of life. Your empty way of life. Living in a worthless, meaningful, futile, vain way. Your vain manner of life. In other words, the Bible is saying that when God came into your life, he gave you purpose, he changed the way that you live, he did things in your heart, he did things in your life, and what you and I are supposed to do is we are supposed to be sharing what God has done. When people hear your story, there is no argument. And here's the thing, wherever you were, there are millions of people in the exact same place looking for answers. The angel said to the apostles, go to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The psalmist said, I will tell of your marvelous works all God wants us to do is tell a little bit of our story tell a little bit of a story now it's from that vain, that empty way of life I was brought up going to church we went to church every Sunday morning every Sunday night I hated all of it for some reason it just never penetrated my heart so I was in church but uh it, it never penetrated it never touched me in fact, I remember growing up, and, and again, we had to go Sunday morning, and we had to go Sunday night, and, and uh, I think I missed, Deb, you can, you can help me back, like three times, my sister's here, like three times in 20 years, because I played sick so I could watch Lassie. Some of you remember, Sunday night was Lassie, all right? But you had to, you had, you had to be faking it by 2 o'clock to not have to go to that 6 o'clock service. Right? Because I just didn't want to go. You know, I just wasn't, it, 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 it did not draw me. In fact, I, I can honestly say, you know, I, I disliked everything that went on. I didn't, I didn't like the sermons. I didn't like the songs. Uh, it was just, I just didn't want to go. And I remember we would get home from church and my parents had one of these, it was a television, it was an AM, FM radio, and a record prayer. I remember those. All the old people remember that. You're old. If you remember that, you're old. All right? And we would get home from church. My dad would go over, and he would turn that thing on to WFUR. All right? And then I think something happened in World War II to his hearing, because he would crank that sucker up so loud. I I remember going in my bedroom, taking the pillow, putting it over my ears, and just going, I hate that music. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So, so, so I'm, I'm out there, and, and I'm searching for purpose, searching for meaning, searching for peace, but in all the wrong places. Uh, I was attending Calvin College at the time, and I'd go uh, every morning and uh, jog a little bit in the, in the gym, and, and, and there was this little skinny guy named Jim, and, and, and he would try to run with me, and, and he'd start telling me about the Lord, and I'd just outrun him. And uh, finally, he said one day, he said, hey, there, there, there's this new church, and they're meeting at Jeremy's Party Place. Sounded good to me, a church at a party place. <laughs> and he says, you ought to go check it out, and you know, that's Sunday night. And so I went, and, and I honestly do not know what the pastor said. Don't have a clue, right? But what touched my heart was there was worship. And, and I saw people for the first time in my life worshiping God with their hands raised, literally tears running down their cheeks. And I, for the first time, I felt the presence of God. No question, I felt the presence of God. And after that service, I, I just kind of hung around a little bit. And uh, there, there, I don't think there were 50 people there. Right? And uh, a fellow that we, I'd grown up with, he lived across the street, Bruce Roberts, he came over, and, and he said to me, he said, uh, did, you like this? did you like the service? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, did you like the preaching? And I said, yeah, I lied. I didn't know what he preached about. And, and, and uh, he says, you know, he said, uh, you, you should get right with God. And, and uh, then he, he brought me over to Romans 10, and he shared two verses, Romans 10, 13, which, which became my life verse, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, and then Romans 10, verse 9. But if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what happens when you get right with God? You get a new want to her. Somebody said, somebody said, well, you get saved, you're never going to enjoy life again. No, the exact opposite is true. You just get a whole new enjoyer. Because you desire different things. The things that you once wanted, they're gone. That vain, empty, worthless life, it's gone. And you get a brand new heart, a brand newer want to it. And you become a brand new person on the inside. You know, if you've been watching today and you've been assessing your spiritual condition, if you would say this, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not right with God. I don't know God. Or you say, I'm away from the Lord and I need to come home to God. I want to ask you to bow your head and pray a prayer with me and commit your life to Jesus. All right? Would you do that? Would you, would you make these words your own? Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. And I thank you for forgiving me, that my past is gone, that I'm your child a part of your kingdom, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you are forgiven and right with God on your way to heaven. And I want to help you as you keep on growing spiritually. And I wrote a book that will help you. It's just full of bullet points to keep you help growing spiritually. Uh, you can download the book absolutely free. All the information is right there on your screen. If you need a hard copy, let us know. We'll send it to you absolutely free of charge. We want to have a part in your continuing to grow as a Christian and serving God and being a blessing with your life.
0: If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so happy for you. To receive a copy of Pastor's free book, you can go to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of the book to be mailed to you or you can download it right there instantly. Either way, it's absolutely free. While online, you can purchase a copy of today's message, The Word on the Street, in the WBF store. You can also download the scriptures for this message under the On Demand page. We are excited to let you know about an awesome opportunity to help Walking by Faith reach millions of viewers around the world. Right now, any gift you give will be matched up to a total of $345,000 due to the generosity of some of our partners. If God is using this ministry to strengthen your faith, please consider making a donation today and help us make use of these matching funds while they are available. If God is using Walking by Faith to change your life, we'd love to hear about it. You can connect with us on Facebook or send an email to yourstory at walkingbyfaith.tv. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.